Hey there, I'm Simeon. And I'm Mary. And welcome to the Two Nerds. And their journey through the essential literacy practices. Whole new worlds were created as rock pushed on into unexplored territory. Within Mars generally, there's always the feeling that one has to innovate and reevaluate and move on. Well, yes, we have Corinne Hauer, we have Teresa Augustiniak, I said it right for the first time ever in my life, <laughs> and Annie Willard. Willard. Why did I forget that name? I shouldn't forget it. So if you want to introduce yourself and maybe say what district you're with and your title. I'm Annie Willard. I work with severely multiply mentally impaired students for Eastern Service Unit, service students from Ravana, Oak Ridge, Orchard View, and Fruitport. They are all bused to me at Oak Ridge Lower Elementary, and I have the elementary age students, generally 5 to 13 years of age. I can go next. All right. Uh, I'm Corinne Hauer, and I'm an assistive technology consultant with the ISD here in Muskegon. And uh, so I get the opportunity to help students access curriculum and communication to the greatest extent possible through employing low to high tech assistive technology strategies and implementing um, strategies and resources and tools to kind of open up the, the curriculum to students and open up possibilities for developing language, literacy, communication, mathematics, and, and all of that. And I'm Teresa Augustiniak. I am the Augmentative Communication Consultant here at the MAISD, and I just started this work a few months ago after serving as a speech pathologist in in local districts and then also as Autism Spectrum Disorder Consultant, too. So it's kind of bringing all of that together for all students. So I am just so excited to have all three of you here today with us and to talk about the essentials, but to talk about it through your why, the lens that you all bring to the table with you with the population you get to work with. And so I'm wondering, can you maybe share with us a little bit. What's your why? Oh, the why I think for me is that these, these students that that students that have complex communication needs are at the greatest vulnerability in terms of being able to ever have a viable means of communication to be able to advocate for themselves, to be able to participate in instruction. And there's something about the level of complexity of their needs and the amount of thoughtfulness that it requires in trial and error in terms of always coming back to the drawing board and thinking again about, okay, what else can we do? How else can we approach this? And then working with you know really people that are incredibly skilled in terms of access to be able to support how they're able to access the communication system that makes it really alluring and uh, and challenging and the same all at the same time. <laughs> and especially when, you know, it's... It's a struggle. You look for those small successes, and when you have those, those are enough to kind of feed you until the next success happens down the road. So it's challenging work and work that requires a lot of skill, of which I'm building all the time. And I think it's incredibly valuable. And what people can't see is the heads nodding around this table. <laughs> yeah. right now. Right. It's I'm just like, powerful. Yeah. And to piggyback on what Teresa said, because we work in a very a similar capacity, I guess, I just, I really get lit up when I see people surprised by what kids can do. Uh, a lot of the students we support, it's very apparent what they can't do. What they can't do, what they can't access every day is right in everybody's face. And when you can provide some options, some strategies, some resources, some tools that allows people to see into the potential of that student and you see those, that excitement, you know, you see their eyes widen, you see the smiles come. That, that's what lights my fire every day to see one more thing that a kid can do for mm-hmm. 
first before that, you know, putting them, the kid before their, their disability. So. Yes. And the why, um, I think we look at these children with complex disabilities and we, and we go, well, how are they're they're challenging just to walk, just to feed themselves, just to do everyday daily living skills. And how can we introduce literacy to them? How can we expect them to to read? How can we expect them to do all of those things that quote unquote a normal child does? And so I sit back and look at and just say, we just need to give them the opportunity. We just need to give them a book to look at. We just to explore, to look at the pictures, to look at the words and and then sit down with them and just talk to them and, and explain what it is. You know, these are the words, these are the pictures, these are, this is the cover, this is the back. And I have watched this year, I've watched um, three of my students just blossom with giving them the opportunity to just have their hands on books, you know, not worry about whether they're going to tear it or what they're going to do with it, but just to have it and look at it and and notice that they're starting to run their finger across. They're not, you know, they're not saying any words, but they're like, well, my, this is what they, this is what I do when I get a book and just sit and watch them. And it's just been exciting, just exciting to watch them during free time, say it's, it's free read time. And they walk over to the bookcase and they pull a book down and they sit down and they look at it and they read it. And every so often they'll say, teach, teach. And I'll be like, what? And they're like, and they're pointing and they're telling me the pictures that are in the book. And I'm like, you're right. That is, that's a cow. That's a a baby. That's a whatever it is that they're pointing at. And for them to be excited about literacy and just to have that opportunity to to explore. Mm-hmm. And Annie, I think that part of this having us all come together is what we can't share on a podcast are those pictures that yeah. you shared mm-hmm. that Saturday and just that joy that we took away. And, you know, when I tell that story to a few people, they're in tears just as know that, you know, all kids have that power of mm-hmm. literacy. And I think about the essentials and I think about Megan Perot as well with Corinne and Trace really coming around that work and saying, okay, last year we did the essential series and, you know, we had some resource room teachers coming and then how do they see themselves in this work? And when you're naming that and the opportunities that it's giving to you this year, it makes me smile like all of us smiling in here is that you're able to come and really take this learning and bring it back. So it's it's being able to be applied to all kids, right? All kids have Mm -hmm. this opportunity. Right. And I, and I think with the series and the help of Corinne and Teresa and, and Megan and helping me scale you know, because you look at the essentials and they're for normal developing children, you know, to be able to scale that back and say, this is what it's going to look like for you. It's not, you know, it's, they're not going to learn the whole alphabet and they're not going to learn all of these things, but this is what they can learn. And this is how they're engaging with literacy. You know, you know, when I started 20 years ago, the literacy was not anything that was even put on the table. You know, you were just basically getting through the day with these students and getting through daily living skills and stuff and getting through the day. And, you know, just within the last, I'm going to say five years, you know, we've started adding the literacy and the writing and, and all of those tools for, for my students to be able to access that. And, and I know we're talking about literacy now, but I just had last week, two of my students, they all, all have pencil boxes and, and we write every morning per se for their writing. And both boys got out a pencil box and they said, write. And I said, oh, you want to write? So I went and got him a piece of paper. I set him down at the table and I said, it's, it's independent writing time. 
and they both got out their pencils and they just drew on the paper and you know then they're like Annie Annie and I'm like what what do you need buddy look look and I said oh what did you draw and so what did you write about and so we talked about what they wrote about you know but if we had if I had never given them that opportunity they would not be doing it at this point Mm -hmm. and so it's just it's just so exciting to see with the help of of the team to sit back and say this you just need to give them a piece of paper and pencil that is their writing when we traditionally think they need to form words they need to form letters they need to be able to do this for literacy and writing but it's not just giving them the ability to hold a pencil and make marks and then make something out of it is is very powerful and just choosing to do that choosing to uh, write saying asking requesting to write because writing in and of itself is enjoyable and mm-hmm. something that they want to do when they're given the opportunity or if they request the opportunity right. to do it. Uh, and knowing that that gets a whole continuum that even those scribbles are eventually going to become uh, something that's more legible, increasingly more legible. And then eventually, hopefully, we'll see those words right. begin to emerge. Well, and we see the letters and stuff with, with the communication devices mm-hmm. and the AAC sure. devices that you guys provide for us, you know, and we give them the alphabet board and let them pick letters and stuff. And so they're picking letters and then we're making words out of it. Oh, you picked an N. You're right. N is for new. We got a new toy. And so that they can realize that this letter makes a word and then we're going to talk about the word and what the new thing was that we got. Or the B, the B is the first letter of your name, you know, and then we write your name and, and stuff. And so with the, with the access that you guys give us to the alphabet boards and stuff, we're able to help them write. And I think to piggyback a little bit and in what you were saying and what Teresa was saying, one thing that I think uh, the Essentials does, as well as some of the other work out of University of North Carolina Center for Literacy and Disability Studies, and Teresa and I had an opportunity to attend a training by Dr. David Copenhaver and Karen Erickson over the summer, and we were, they were talking about this, that for so long, it has been a lot of disability-first sort of programming and education for these students, that it has been about functional skill development and activities of daily living. And yes, those things are important. And there's still people first and kids mm-hmm. first. Mm-hmm. And kids love books and mm-hmm. kids love to write and kids love to communicate. And so those skills are just as functional as walking and eating and dressing if not more so for our kids with complex communication needs. Because if you ever want to be able to say anything you want to say, you got to know something about literacy because you got to be able to spell because nobody is going to program into your device every single thing you want to be able to say at any given time. And, and a lot of times what we thought was, I think historically, what we've thought was an inability to learn and acquire those skills has has really turned out to be a lack of opportunity. Mm-hmm. We talk about the number of opportunities that typically developing kids have. If you think about your own kids, your own babies, and how many times you pull them up on your laps and you put a book in front of them and you just take it and you're turning the pages and you're talking about the pictures and you're making it engaging and meaningful to them. And then as they start to develop mobility, they're going over to the bookshelf and they're pulling books off, right? Randomly, right? Flipping through that. They're upside down. They're flipping through the pages. They're they're tearing the pages. They're wrinkling them. They're chewing on them. They're mouthing them. They're doing all of those things. And our kids with some of the most complex needs, 
those parents, the time at home that we would spend, those quiet times in the evenings, are spent just trying to address their basic medical needs, mm-hmm. just trying to make sure everybody has the, the medication, that they've been fed, that they've been changed, that they're positioned correctly, so that, it, you know, just try to ensure their survival. And then the kids don't have the opportunity. They don't have t- typical motor skills. So they don't get the opportunity to go over. They can't get themselves to that bookshelf or that basket of books, or they can't, once they get there, they can't pick up the book and open it up themselves. So the number of opportunities that they miss just because the the nature of their physical and medical development it is um, it shows up, I think we they get to school and we think it's it's lack of ability, where it's truly been a lack of opportunity Mm -hmm. and once we can give them the opportunity to engage in those early milestones that's um, you know provide a way for them to access those we start to see some pretty incredible incredible things i think that the lack of opportunity speaks volumes uh, for students with complex disabilities because of their needs at school as well and at home. So the same thing has happened. At, like, I just think back to the times that I was actually a speech and language pathologist in Annie's room 12 years ago, or more than that. And I think about the kind of goals that I wrote for students, where they were just focused really on functional early kind of milestones in terms of like, oh, well, if they don't show this lockstep progression of skills, you can't possibly work on something more complex like literacy skills, because it's all about these early kind of Piaget and stages, like object, you know, object permanence, cause and effect. Those are the kinds of goals that we would focus on, because that was how we uh, kind of viewed these students in terms of, oh, well, they can't show us what they know, or they they have had limited opportunities, so we're going to take it all the way back to the very earliest stages, when in actuality, what you have to do is do all of that simultaneously, that they learn cause and effect through communication, through having access to a communication device. They learn about object permanence and all those other things while they're engaged in literacy instruction. So all of these things can be done simultaneously. So you're giving them those opportunities that because of their physical limitations early on, they may have not have have had access to. And so and I think it really kind of addresses a shift in the mindset that has happened relatively recently and is really being amplified with the work around the essentials where it is every student in every classroom every day. And when you say that, Teresa, it makes me think about the essentials too and coming around essential 10 with family engagement. I can only imagine being a parent of that child and, you know, always addressing, like you said, Corinne, the the medical needs and all that. And now seeing a picture of my child reading a book, pointing to the words, what excitement that must have for the parent as well. Mm -hmm. So I'm just curious, Annie, like your parents seeing their kids start to do that. Have they responded or shared anything with you? They have not really lately, um, but we are just, you know, we are just really starting this literacy thing and, and showing the parents that the kids can do it. Mm-hmm. And sending, I'm sending more books home and stuff because I think parent Corinne had said they don't think about getting those things for the kids at yes. home because they're so worried about everything else. Yes. And you know, if and so I've been sending home more uh, paper books and stuff. And if they destroy it, they destroy it. And you bet, you know. And then the parents don't don't feel bad. Or I've actually been laminating them and then sending them home so that they're a little more durable for the kids at home. And so it's it's going to take some time for the parents to get into that routine and stuff so that they can see that the kids are they're getting it and they're understanding it and they're enjoying it mm-hmm. and so that they can fit it in into their into their routine of everything else that they that they need to do you know because when you look at kids 
because with the disability of kids, I mean, I have kids that are tube fed and, you know, they wear cochlears and they have seizures and everything else that that's what the parents are focusing on. And you bet. And so they just need to make that shift and just take the time to do it when, when they get an opportunity. So, and I think too, something that you said, Annie, that stuck with me was that just the, the permission for the, the parents know that it's okay for their kids to interact with any with books in any ways that they yes. are yes. ready to. Yes. So don't worry. I think from an, uh, a developmental standpoint, we're so focused that it's easy to get focused on the age. Well, at this age, they should be, mm-hmm. you know, holding the book appropriately. They should be turning it page by page. They should wait till I finish reading the page before we move on. And we have to say, it's okay if they're holding it upside down. It's okay if they're wrinkling the pages. It's okay if they want to read the same page over and over and over yes. and over and over that yes. we want to make it enjoyable for them. And um, so giving parents permission to let them interact and to encourage those interactions in any way that's affirming and engaging to the student that this is a valuable experience, I think that's a, that's a huge thing. So as we think about the essentials and all this coming together, Teresa and Kern, I have a question for you first and then coming to Annie. But Corinne and Teresa, what I'm wondering, what is your hope for this work with the essential work? And and when we think about how we developed a series this year and what was your hope in, in joining this opportunity to say, okay, we if we say all kids, what do we mean by all kids? And just wondered if you could kind of share like what is your hope for the work and what are you thinking for the future? Well I know one of the things that that I one of my hopes is was is <clears throat> that that everyone sees all kids as readers as having the potential to move down that conventional literacy path that we stop maybe eventually getting the the concern that but when are they going to get to work on functional skills what that people start seeing literacy as, as a, a really function. functional skill for all kids and for those people who already see it but don't know how to get there, that we can help provide some scaffolds and some supports and some strategies to f- make teachers help teachers and educators feel empowered to help get the, you know, move their students along that continuum to give them the access so that they feel like they're doing enough. I always get that question, but is and what I'm doing, is it enough? Is yes. it enough to get this kid where they need to be or where they can be? And so to help provide some reassurance about that. Um, so help them see the potential in all of their students and help kids and families see the potential in themselves as, as readers and writers and then help teachers feel empowered to help move their students along that continuum. Oh, I think that was incredibly well said. And I think that I would obviously agree with that. And I would say that the most important part of what you were saying was that we know that there's wonderful things happening in classrooms where there are students with severe multiple impairments, whether it be at Wesley School or it be out in other local districts uh, and classrooms with students that have moderate cognitive impairments, that there has been a lot of work around literacy over the past five, six years, so that there is some really excellent instructional practices happening. And so why divide that up? Why not unite all of those mm-hmm. practitioners together around the work of the literacy essentials and being able to share? And I think that's a great point that you point, that you had, Mary, after one of our evening sessions. You said, I think it's going to be really important to pull 
the group that is working with students with severe complex disabilities and have them come back to the whole group because sometimes we'll split off and we'll in our evening sessions and do more focused work but then coming back together and getting a chance to celebrate some of the achievements some of the successes that have been happening in not just general ed classrooms but also in these classrooms that have students with complex disabilities and sharing it out to the whole group so that general educators can also hear about the successes that are happening around literacy in these classrooms too. So Annie, you know I'm going to come to you next. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> so my question would be to you, how has the essentials, I know you articulated a little bit before with Corinne and Teresa in really helping you, but how has seeing yourself within the essentials to support your students, how have they been empowering to you? Oh, I'm going to be honest, because I don't follow a curriculum or anything, these have really given me a path to follow. They have given me things to work towards and know where to go and know that I am doing right by by these students because I'm following essential elements that the rest of the school district is following. Just because of the population of students that I have, I don't have a curriculum. So basically everything I do, I make up in, in hope that I'm touching the things that I need to be touching on the kids academically and functionally. So it has really given me an avenue of something to look at and know that I need to work on these things and with the help of you guys in making it important to my students. You guys rock. Thank you so much. <laughs> you too. I just like I'm sitting here and I'm listening and I'm thinking about a group of students that I don't normally get to think about all the time and I just want to thank you for everything you guys do for that group. It's just a I'm just in awe. Uh, Annie does it all day, every day. <laughs> I do. Uh huh. She is. She's incredible. Yeah. Well, thanks for inviting us. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Whole new worlds were created as rock pushed on into unexplored territory. Within arms, generally, there's always the feeling that one has to innovate and reevaluate and move on.